All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina. All of has our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello and welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In this episode, we focus on ACES-informed courts and the contributions from one of their faith-based strategic partners. Our guests are District Attorney Ben David from New Hanover and Pender Counties and Cyril Prebu, President and Founder of Proverbs 226, a faith-based nonprofit focused on reconciling incarcerated fathers with their families. Ben, Cyril, welcome to All Things Judicial. Good morning. This is Ben David. It's great to be here today. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for having me here. Last May, the Judicial Branch formed the Chief Justice's Task Force on ACES Informed Courts, and we'd like to flush that out a little bit. Um, District Attorney David, can you tell us a little bit about what ACES Informed Courts are? Absolutely. Uh, Through the leadership of our Chief Justice, Paul Newby, he asked AOC Director Andrew Heath and I to co-chair a task force made up of approximately 20 judicial stakeholders to look at trauma and specifically complex childhood trauma. ACES is an acronym that stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences and Adverse Community Environments. And the idea is if we make our children more resilient and if we give them the tools they need to navigate the trauma they are experiencing, sometimes on a daily basis, we can really change the arc of their lives and keep them out of the justice system, either as defendants or as victims. And there's many strategies we're employing to do that. So the mission statement of the Chief Justice's Task Force on ACEs Informed Courts reads, to examine the impact of ACEs on children and develop strategies for addressing adverse childhood experiences within our court system. What are some of those strategies that we're using to address ACEs in the North Carolina court system? Well, we talk about five arms of the starfish, these arms of outreach, and these are strategic partnerships that those of us in government, which is the first arm of the starfish, can partner with schools, business community, the nonprofits, and the faith-based community, and center our efforts around public health, because it turns out the root causes of crime are the same thing as the social determinants of health. Today, we're specifically going to talk about the faith-based arm of that starfish. We're going to be talking about how we can put our faith into work and really make our children more resilient by strengthening the family bond, because after all, it needs to be parents raising our kids and not the government. So talking about those strategic partnerships, I'd like to turn to Cyril. I hear you have an amazing organization. Can you tell us about the uh, Proverbs 226? Absolutely. Uh, First of all, before I begin, I wanted to thank you, Chris, and uh, District Attorney uh, Ben David, as well as uh, Chief Justice Paul Newby, to invite us to a podcast like this. It is such amazing, like uh, the heart behind 
this whole effort is, is just amazes me. Um, what is Proverbs two to six? Proverbs two to six is uh, rooted from the verse um, Proverbs chapter twenty two verses six. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And the thing is that uh, you know. Um, the effort of Proverbs 2 to 6 is about like uh, helping kids whose parents are in prison. People ask me, why? Why do we need to do this part? Uh, very often I get this question. And it's because in this nation right now, if you look at the number of inmates that are going into prison today, 85% of inmates that are serving time in this country grew up without fathers. Not only that, every single day, about 4,500 children across this nation that are below the age 18 are going into a prison or a jail or some criminal justice system. And so our effort is to just like help these children to break the cycle because what the statistic says is that if their father or mother is in prison, then the probability of their children going into prison is between 70 to 82% probability, right? And so these are children that are prone to go into prison, and that's what we wanted to put an end to. That's very interesting. So how did you come to do this work? Oh, there are two things. Um, I came into this country from India in 1993, right? When I came into this country, uh, the first thing that any Indian kid would do is to buy a computer. So... It's almost like a postman taking a walk after a day's work, right? <laughs> and so I went to buy a computer. This time, uh, uh, the, the the companies that were selling computers were like a CompUSA and fries and everything. It was very expensive. And so a company called Supercomputers in San Leandro, California, said they would make the computer. So I paid these guys. Uh, I was uh, uh, giving an order to make a computer so I can pick it up. So when I went to pick it up, uh, unfortunately, it was a bad time to be in a bad place. That place was getting robbed, and I walked right into it. And uh, I was taken down at a gunpoint, locked up in a dark room. They tied my hands to the back and my legs tied together, my mouth plastered. I almost saw my life taken away that night. When you go to an experience to that extent, uh, your life and your perspective about the future completely changes. And uh, these guys were running around with a semi-automatic in their hands. They could have easily shot uh, me and two other guys on the floor. Uh, But somehow God stopped these guys from doing that. And so when I came out of that situation, I was like an E.T., go home, you know. (laughs) I didn't want to be in this country at all. But somehow God used that situation that I was going through and turned my focus on the guys who put me through this. And I started to research on their life. And my day job is data mining. So if you have like a millions of rows, that's what uh, uh, is like a home ground for me, right? So I found out like a how that linked to the prison system and how, it, how much it was broken. And uh, if you look at the whole prison system in this country, you will see that it is like a dominant by, initially, I thought it was an African-American issue. Why? Because uh, one out of three African-American men are in prison in large cities like uh, L.A., Chicago, and so on and so forth. And uh, any African-American 
child that does not have a high school education has a huge probability, even over 90% probability, that they will go into a jail, prison, or die before the age 30. And this number alarmed me uh, pretty heavily. And so I started researching more and I found out a huge Latino population in this country is also making their way into prison. And uh, the, the, the mining of data is all about pattern matching. So I was trying to find out what are the common data patterns between them. And I found out eight out of 10 Latino moms in this country that are giving birth are single moms. So the issue is not the color, the issue is not the race, the issue is not the gender, the issue is not having fathers at home. If I can bring the fathers back into the lives of these children, then the crime in this nation will come down. And so that was the the first focus. In fact, the number one epidemic that America faces today is fatherlessness. And we need to address that. And, uh, and that's where I see a very strong correlation with the ACES task force. Because I know Chief Justice Paul Newby is always talking about like a, how to help these children, uh, you know, to break the cycle, right? So two things that we wanted to address as part of Proverbs 2 to 6. Number one, we want to bring the fathers back into the lives of these children. And number two, we want to help them with the education, why? Because one out of eight kids that goes to elementary school in this country does not complete high school. That is about 6.6 million children dropping out of school every single year. And so if you want to fix the problem, we need to bring education a priority for the children. We have lost that vision for education in this country across this nation we used to be number one and number two across the world for education. Now we are trailing in 27 and 28 in math and science. And it's because we haven't taken the education a huge priority. So what we said is with the Proverbs 2 to 6, we want to stop a million children across this nation from going into prison. That's the vision for Proverbs 2 to 6. How we would do it? We will bring them into the prison and we would allow the fathers that are part of their life. If you want to solve this problem, then we need to bring fathers back in, right? So the fathers have to get on their knees and wash their children's feet and ask for forgiveness. This is how the father signs up their kids into this program. And so then we help them with the education, take them through to college and we pay scholarship for these children. When we started the journey in 2012, we couldn't even find one kid that could go to, go to school. And because uh, we kept working with these children, the second year we were able to send three kids to college. We were like, yahoo, right? And then we had like a eight and 25. Today we have 82 children in college. And in the next four years, about 2,000 kids getting ready to go to college. What these kids need is not really a sympathy or a pity or a hand down. What these kids need is a direction. What they need is a hand that would pull them to a place where they can actually feel safer uh, for themselves. So that's what Proverbs 2 to 6 is doing. 
uh, in um, four states. Actually, this year it's going to be six states uh, that we are in, and we have about 16,000 children in the program, and we are operating right now in 24 prisons. Which prisons in North Carolina are you operating in? There is one very next to us here, Central Prison. Uh, We are in Central Prison. We are in Anson Correctional. We are in Troy. We are in Southern. Um, uh, You know, we're going to be in uh, Mountain View. So there is like, uh, you know, nine prisons in North Carolina that we are in right now. So District Attorney uh, Ben David, you're pretty familiar with prisons and the the criminal justice system, I would say. Um, What role do district attorneys play in partnering with strategic partners like Proverbs 226 in terms of thinking about kind of the future generation? Sure. Well, I have two prisons in my district, 025 in Wilmington and then Pender Correctional in Burgos. And I am committed to introducing Carol and Proverbs 226 to the um, warden and people on their team in the prisons um, in my district because 98% of the people that district attorneys are putting into prison in North Carolina are getting out one day, 98%. So it's an elite 2% where we truly say lock them up and throw away the key. And of those 98%, a full two out of three of them, about 65%, are back in that prison cell within three years of their release because they've committed new crimes. That's the rate of recidivism. And so if you talk to former offenders, the people that are in this never-ending revolving door, this cycle of crime, they'll talk about the barriers to reentry, you know, affordable housing, um, transportation issues, untreated mental illness and drug addiction. But one of the huge barriers is that they have not reconciled with their families. And what a wonderful thing that we can do, particularly while they're serving out their sentences, to make sure that that family bond remains in place because they're still parents. And while they're parents, they need to be involved in the lives of their children. And by doing that, they're not only more likely to be successful when they get released, but they're going to be preventing their children from following in that footsteps because no one who walks into a prison and sees what these people are being deprived of would want that for themselves. And very frequently, people only come to understand the consequences after they've been given a right to remain silent, we can no longer talk to them about choices and consequences. So this effort right here is really about putting faith into work. It's about saying, listen, there's a path forward that is much better. Uh, Graduating from high school, getting a job, then getting married before you have kids of your own, that's called the success sequence. And my co-chair, Andrew Heath, has written all about that. 98% chance you'll never live in poverty if you do those three things before you have a child of your own. We need to be teaching our kids that. But alternatively, we also need to be telling our kids, you know, if you follow your dad's footsteps in terms of robbing other people or dealing drugs on a street corner or engaging in violence, this is the path forward too. And what better example for children than their own fathers? And what better person to ask for their children's forgiveness and to say, I still love you, I need, I need some mercy, than a father asking their child for that. I mean, I'll, I'll throw out another part of the Old Testament right now, and that's Micah 6a. And what does the Lord require? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's a great mission statement for DAs, certainly, but also for judges, public defenders, and sheriffs, anyone who's listening right now in the criminal justice system. 
And if we are sincere about there has to be an aspect of mercy in how we are incarcerating people and focusing on their rehabilitation, then there's few programs that I would commend more than Proverbs 2 through 6. Wonderful. Actually, I wanted to piggyback on what District Attorney said. Like uh, that reconciliation of relationship, um, we didn't actually help these guys to go find a housing. We didn't help them to go find uh, like a jobs or anything. But the very fact that we gave them an opportunity to get into the lives of these children, right, has costed the recidivism rate, which District Attorney talked about, uh, is about 70% nationally. In the first 30 to 90 days uh, to a two-year period, these guys make more mistakes and they come back in, right? But the fathers who wash their children's feet, it is 1.8% nationally. This is an unheard of number. And that's what the power of love and forgiveness can do. You know, the ACES Informed Courts Task Force is a pretty unique approach to the problems in the, in the criminal justice system, the court system partnering with strategic partners in, in the faith-based community. Um, I wanted to kind of turn this to Ben David again. Um, a lot of, a lot of your job and a lot of the focus of the court system is on punishment um, for wrongdoing. Where do we draw the line between rehabilitation and punishment in, in the prison system? And how does that cooperate with Proverbs 226. Well, look what we've done with justice reinvestment over the last decade in North Carolina. We rewrote the structured sentencing charts and said, you know, rape, murder, armed robbery, drug trafficking, habitual felons, send them to prison for as long as possible. That's keeping the community safe, but not for three huge categories, not for people who are mentally ill, not for people who are drug addicted, and certainly not for our children. Uh, we were the last of the 50 states to raise the juvenile age to 18 from 16. All of that was an effort to say, we need to end mass incarceration. We need to find strategies to do rehabilitation and not punishment for those categories that I've just mentioned, mental illness, drug addiction, and our children. And so over this last decade, we've actually closed 11 prisons in North Carolina. We've reduced the prison population by 4,000 beds. That's 10%. We've saved the state nearly $500 million uh, through the safe cost of incarceration through justice reinvestment. So these strategies are working. And one thing I want to stress about what we're talking about today is that the ACES task force believes in looking at science. You know, the, this now 35-year longitudinal study that asks 10 questions, the first two of which, by the way, are, are your parents divorced? And is one of them incarcerated, uh, which is exactly what we're talking about today. It, it will create a, a, a statistical probability that that person will go into jail or prison one day or be a victim of a crime if that ACE score, the answers to those questions are yes, is really high. And so what we're doing is we're saying, listen, let's start with the resources in our community. Let's resource map this. Certainly we want to work with the schools because two out of three kids in jails and prisons in North Carolina are high school dropouts. Certainly, we want to work with the business community because we need to get jobs and not have the street as the only equal opportunity employer. Certainly, we want to work with the nonprofit community and manage the outcomes through collective impact. And, and what we're doing with Cape Fear Collective in my district is really looking at that right now. And certainly, we want to work with all branches of government on this. But there is an aspect 
of what we're doing that talks about putting faith into work. That's a very important thing to many of us on this task force, and that's led by our Chief Justice. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, the First Amendment says that we keep the church and state separate, but it never said that we should live without believing in something bigger than ourselves and working together with the community leaders who are in the faith-based community, including Mr. Prabhu, to say there's things we can do to bring about healing and forgiveness that can only come from that. And so that's why I'm very proud that this is an aspect of one of the things that we're doing on the ACES task force, because it's working. Just to add to complement to what, uh, you know, District Attorney is talking about, um, is this that uh, he talked about, like all the changes that the the court system is doing to help, you know, re, um, you know, unite the, the fathers with the children. On the other hand, what we are also seeing is that the children, when they come to see their fathers and the fathers washing their children's feet, uh, when we start to measure their grades, uh, it's exponential growth. Um, for example, I have these 82 kids that are going to college in uh, nine states right now. These kids have 4.8 to 5.6 GPA. They have 1,800 plus SATs scores. And they have like, a, you know, 40% of these children are doing a double or a triple major in biometrical engineering and computer science and so on. So the fact that, you know, if we can just like a help from both sides of the fence, like what District Attorney is talking about, then these children, he talked about two out of three high school dropouts, right? And the national statistics says that 70% of a national crime is committed by high school dropouts. So if, if only we can help these children from dropping out of high school, then the probability of them going into prison goes from one out of eight kid to one out of 100 kid. So there's a huge benefit to what District Attorney is talking about. What is it about the reconciliation between children and their fathers that causes the children to have success that you've described? So if you look at the statistics in this country right now, the number of children that are ending up in foster homes, the number of children that are ending up, uh, you know, having uh, abortion and the number of children dropping out of school, the number of children ending up in prison it's very directly correlated to the fatherlessness in this country because we have nearly 20 million households in this country don't in this country don't have fathers at home right and so the fathers play a vital role you look at the population the small group of population that has fathers at home versus the ones that doesn't have a fathers at home the impact of the fatherlessness is shown up with 85% of these men, you know, ending up in prison, uh, you know, more chance of them dropping out. Even the basketball coaches, when they are ready to, you know, onboard uh, kids into their team, they're looking to see if these kids have dads at home because that is such a critical element. Well, we are about out of time, but I wanted to give both of our guests, the opportunity to um, say any final comments or words they have to say. District Attorney David, did you have anything you wanted to add? Chris, years ago, we did what was called crime mapping in my district, where we looked at the highest crime area measured by police reports, by shot spotter data, by unreported crime showing up at the hospital. 
we drew a big zone around it. Again, the statistics picked it. We didn't pick the zone for any other reason than all those statistics. And what we found when we went under the roofs of the children's homes is that there were 256 kids coming from 88 homes, and there are a total of just four dads living there. Um, that is not a unique story in America or throughout our state. Having fathers involved in the lives of their kids is a great thing. And if they're incarcerated, um, we need to keep that bond there between the children and their fathers. Uh, obviously, if there's things that involve crimes perpetrated by the fathers against the kids, you know, the incest and, and things like that, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about are, is there a way to keep children and their fathers together, even through sometimes lengthy incarceration? That's good for the kids. It's good for the dads. It's good for the society at large when we talk about reducing the rates of recidivism. And it's just the right thing to be doing. ACEs informed courts need to be looking at trauma, intergenerational trauma, helping our kids becoming more resilient. Parents actually have a much greater capacity to do that than government. And if government can support keeping that bond strong, even during someone's incarceration, that's worthy of our best efforts. Mr. Prabhu, do you have anything new you'd like to add? Um, I think, first of all, I just wanted to thank, um, you know, the district attorney to, you know, be on this call in spite of his, uh, you know, busy schedule. Um, what I would say is that, uh, you know, what was once a misery in my life growing up without a father actually gave me an opportunity to look at these children and uh, be part of their life. It's almost like a God has already painted this picture, and I'm in this picture because, you know, I, I obeyed this. And uh, there's going to be a lot of people in this line listening to this podcast wondering, what would I do? What would I do to leave a legacy behind? And I just want to encourage them, do small things. You don't need to have like a massive big crusades uh, to change the world, you know, being, uh, you know, a good father, uh, being a friend um, and hugging somebody and, uh, you know, a smile in the grocery store is, is worth the millions than to just like, a, you know, think about like a doing something later in their life. So I just wanted to inspire uh, the people that uh, how a, a kid who grew up without a father from India showed up in this country, became a a senior vice president in Bank of America, and today has a vision to save million children from going into prison. All this is possible in this country. This is an amazing country, and I'm blessed to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to thank both of our guests today for appearing on All Things Judicial. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give it a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential to sharing the important work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.